So if you're like me, you've been in this business for a while. You've been in this business for a long time. And year after year, from the first day that you decided that you want to uh, turn your back on that job at D'Angelo's, turn your back on that job at uh, Meineke, and decide to hunt for your dreams, the big issue that we always have, the big fear that we always have, is how the fuck am I going to survive? How am I going to make it? And uh, if you've decided to be a director, all you can do, realistically, all you could do, or all you, all I could have done when I got started, was uh, look back at the other ones, right? Look at the directors that you admire, find the work that speaks to you, and try to figure out how the hell they did it. Uh, and where did I turn? I mean, these days you can hopefully find some interviews on YouTube, maybe some articles on these folks, maybe you're watching a uh, film essay on them where someone is pontificating on how they think that director got to where they were or where they are. And at the end of the day, all we're doing is we're sifting through what I like to call propaganda. We're sifting through the PR that is surrounding a project. And you ever notice when you watch like a behind the scenes video for a movie that's coming out, there's a formula, right? It always starts with, this is a great story. Here's a great cast. And then every interview, it's, I've never worked with a director like this before. This director is fantastic and he's such a collaborator. They use the same hot words over and over again. He's a collaborator, he does this. And at the end of the day, you just start to go, what's the fucking reality here, right? Do I just follow what I heard in these videos? Do I just follow what I read in these articles? And if I did, then that means I should focus on my work, focus on my art, and uh, it'll all come together for me. Someday, one day, as long as I keep my head down, I'll get a manager, I'll get an agent. Or if I'm in the commercial world, one day I'll be repped. I'll be repped by a production company and that's gonna change everything, right? Well, that's not necessarily the case. And I don't want you to just take my word for it. I try to ask a lot of directors that come on the show uh, how they got started and where they come from. That's pretty much the formula that you hear me do in all these interviews, where it's like, let's introduce you to the audience because we all gotta catch up. And then it kind of goes off the rails from there. Uh, today's episode is a good one for directors that are in the business. They want to work in commercials. Maybe you want to do a little documentary work. Uh, and it even applies to those narrative filmmakers that are out there too. Today, I speak with a director. I don't want to say that he's a young director because that's not true. This guy's been working in the business for years. He has been working as an editor in the business. He has been working uh, for television for years. We won't hold the fact that he worked for Fox News against him. <laughs> Um, but he's a great guy. Uh, today was my first day meeting him, and when I was asked if I would have him on the show, I went through his work and I thought his stuff looked great, but I was more curious about his path, how he got to the point where he is, and how was he recently signed as a commercial director, because I'm curious. I'm curious to see if his path was similar to mine and what he thinks about being signed to a new production company. This is a great episode, so strap yourselves in, everybody. Uh, I want to say thank you to everybody that continues to follow me on Instagram. That's at Mike Petchy on Instagram and the podcast on Instagram. That's in love with the process pod. That's in love with the process P-O-D on Instagram. 
Uh, that's where I've been getting suggestions for the show. That's where people have been interacting with a contest that we're doing. And if you guys noticed, we've got new sponsors on the show. I've got a variety of different sponsors that are going to be jumping on based upon subject material, right? So I'm not going to hit you up with all my sponsors all the time. They're going to be uh, selected based upon subject stuff. So uh, Dale Strong's on. You guys have heard me talk about Dale Strong before. Uh, they are sponsoring our cooking and chefs episode uh, with a bunch of other potentials. I don't know if I'm allowed to say their names yet because we haven't locked them in. Uh, very excited about that. And we continue to have amazing support from our filmmaking sponsors for these episodes. And I hope you guys are enjoying how this show is evolving. I am definitely trying to open this show up. Uh, but at the same token, bring you these hard-hitting, deep interviews about process of filmmaking and i know there are an ass load of fucking filmmaking podcasts out there i've been a guest on quite a few and we try to do things a little bit differently on the show and for those of you who are just showing up welcome strap yourselves in for a conversation and i don't mean like a i feel like saying it that way it just, it just sounds like some other bullshit talk show where oprah's like we're gonna sit down and have a conversation it's like fucking oprah you don't have anything in common with these people and now someone knocks on my door and murders me because somehow she's still in a huge position of power. Um, <clears throat> but we try to just have basic, almost dangerous conversations because I'm not filtering anything. Uh, every time I finish a podcast, I'm always like, whoa, fuck, what did we say? Did I say anything bad? Um, because I really wanted, coming up in the business, to have the opportunity to sit down and, t and ask questions over a glass of beer. And that's what we try to do here. And unfortunately, because of COVID, we're not drinking in the same space together. Um, but I try to keep these audio interviews as personal as possible. And it's fascinating. If you've been listening to the show since the beginning, you can see the evolution of the interview process that I've been doing. And you guys may actually be able to catch on to how I'm doing it now. Like you'll actually hear the transition because I've never met today's guest. I don't even know what he looks like. I haven't seen his face. And so we meet over the internet and we meet just by hearing each other and we get really personal. So it's, it's pretty, pretty outstanding. I think that's one of the big reasons why I still find this uh, process to be uh, really fun because it's an interesting way to meet people. Um, but uh, anyway, if you guys are excited, if you're young directors, if you're young filmmakers and you're just like, I don't know how the fuck I can make money. This episode will help you out. If you're someone that uh, is trying to figure out how to get repped, if you guys want to be on a roster, this is going to help you break down some of those like misconceptions that I know I had before I got signed. So this is going to tell you exactly how it works. And this isn't a negative thing. This is all positive. It's There's something really positive about understanding why people rep you, why you're on a roster, and how they sell you. Because once you understand those things, it will really change uh, how you approach it. And uh, more than anything else, we're here to celebrate today's guest, Ron Brody, and his career. And he shares a lot with us. Uh, he's, uh, I guess he's a fan of the show. He said he listened to a bunch of episodes before we got started. And uh, he's also an old hardcore punk fan, too. So uh, him and I could have gone on for another three hours. And I might actually have him back on the show. So we'll see as the future comes uh, and as we get out of this fucking COVID craziness. So 
you know the deal. If you don't have them on already, which you should because you're listening to it, turn up those noise-canceling headphones. Put your noise-canceling on high. You know, drown out anybody else that's around the house. Uh, Sit back, relax, and I know you're going to want to write some shit down, so you might want to have a pen and piece of paper on hand and get ready to learn some new lessons on the brand new In Love With The Process. Hey, Ron, thanks for joining me on the show. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, it's uh, my pleasure. Like, I was going through your work uh, last week, and I uh, was very impressed with the stuff that you have going on. And, and there's a lot of stuff that I think you and I have in common, and uh, mm. there's a lot of stuff that I want to ask you questions about. So I, it's I'm pumped to have you here. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, going back in time a little bit. You know, sometimes I don't get to revisit the track uh, record. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, I mean, that's the way with our career in general. Half the time I feel like when I have a moment to look back in time, I'm like, am I not fucking working enough? <laughs> <laughs> I know you're like, what's going on? <laughs> Should I be moving right now? <laughs> exactly, man. Um, well, let's start. Uh, let's catch the audience up. Um, let's uh, introduce you to our listeners, um, our hungry listeners. Uh, how did you? How did you get into the business? How did you get into the business of directing? Well, the business of directing uh, started a long time ago, and also very recently. Um, you know, I knew I wanted to be in the film industry, uh, you know, I guess at the end of high school, around the end of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't really sure what role I would play, but I knew I loved the idea of filming, um, you know, stories and just kind of putting interesting twists on them and uh, just experimenting on video. Um, so I went to film school and um, kind of fell in love with directing uh, just because I thought it was a it was a sexy title maybe <laughs> and, and um, you know uh, I think that's when I started a long time ago and um, you know was it was, was I doing it well um, that's questionable um, am I you know doing it better now I think for sure but I think um, still I'm, I'm you know in this kind of phase where where I'm just starting just because um, I guess on paper it's official um, as of last year you know other people actually uh can speak on me being a director um you know outside of me pitching myself wherever i show up (laughs) (laughs) uh that makes a lot of sense so you uh saw directing as this sexy title did it change for you like when you started doing it did you was it did it live up to your expectations uh you know i had to find my own unique love with it you know because i think um where where I come from, um, I, I was just used to doing it all, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, certain aspects of the process were seen as like fail safes to just ensure uh, the, you know, the probability of you having a job or keeping the, the lights on at your home. So yeah, like things like editing, or even if you're shooting, it's just like good fallback, right? Mm-hmm. And if you really wanted to um, have a little bit control of the story, you'd want to be, um, you know, in the director's chair. Um, but when I started chasing that sexy title, I realized the the sexiest person on set, in my opinion, is 
the cinematographer. So uh, <laughs> I just realized the director was going to be doing a lot more talking and um, <laughs> doing a lot more work uh, and not really getting to, uh, you know, arguably not not getting to uh, really, um, you know, just be the biggest artist on set, I suppose. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, like this, the sexiness uh, wore off and then it came back on time where it's it, it's definitely attractive or it's just, you know, you know, when you get um when you get, I mean, I love it. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love, I love uh, my myself, and uh, you know, positive um, body image is kind of positive uh, filmmaker image. Where you know, I got into directing. I loved, uh, you know, sharing all my ideas, and then I meet amazing cinematographers that look a lot better than I do, but I still feel proud. <laughs> All right, look, I think we need to kibosh this immediately because there's a lot of cinematographers that I know that their heads are going to inflate. Most cinematographers are ugly individuals in real life. They have eating problems. They're terrible. They're terrible. Don't don't get their egos going, man, because their egos are already huge enough as it is. They don't need well, like now, now you know my style, man. I, I like to butter people up when they walk on my set. Everyone's feeling really nice. Yeah. <laughs> I started that way, but I just learned at this point, I got to keep him down. I got to keep him wanting to impress. That's the move. That's this, move is, this too, the yeah. shot, is this the shot today? Oh, really? Uh, I guess. All right. If that's the one you want to go with. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man, I could go on on this, uh, you know, <laughs> but um, <laughs> you just tell me I had a really bad, a really bad club analogy when the lights come on, but <laughs> So, uh, so, okay. So yeah, the, the cinematographer seems to be the sexiest position (laughs) on a set. Um, but you said that you were doing a bunch of other stuff. I noticed that you were an editor for a while. Um, like how did you get into editing? Uh, you know, I got into editing, I think through music, honestly. Um, you know, I, I, you know, feel like I had a natural rhythm, um, just being, um, you know, West Indian and maybe even, you know, black. A lot of people think, you know, music is inherently in our backgrounds. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, uh, I, you know, I had a rhythm. You know, my, my dad loved music. My uncles were musicians. Um, and I just kind of took to the idea of, um, you know, timing and, um, you know, maybe even just constructing, um, uh, you know, construction, you know, and, um, you know, uh, editing I saw as like kind of like a, like a, like a mechanic position of the industry. I have all these analogies, but yep. it seemed like there was, there was always going to be a lot of work for editors because everyone's going to, you know, try and put together a story or, you know, they're going to tell their stories, but who's really going to put them together. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they had a, um, in my film school, they had a, a pretty extensive, uh, editing, um, you know, um, uh, just, um, focus, so um, I really took to it, like it, it, from high school, even um, just, com- you know, working with computers, I guess the generation I'm from was, you know, also very, um, very hot at the time. So just being able to manipulate video in that way uh, mm-hmm. got me into the edit uh, craft. Yeah. Well, you're right about rhythm, man. Like that was a big learning lesson for me, too. Uh, I, I think I've talked about it on a prior episode. The the big change for me when I was teaching myself editing, because when I started, it was in the transition onto computers. <laughs> like, I, I'm not that old, but it was in the transition um, where it was like early, early versions of like very temperament, te- temperamental versions of nonlinear editing. Um, and so when I sat down and I taught myself that stuff, one of the first things uh, I learned was how to take 
a, you know, three and a half minute long pop song and actually cut that song down to be a seamless 15 second clip with different sections of the song. So I'm taking the back end of the song, I'm taking my favorite portion of the song, and I'm taking the front end or the buildup of that song and then actually cutting that so that it feels seamless and it feels like an actual edit. And you're examining rhythm, you're examining beats, you're examining all that stuff, which then translates into uh, editing narrative and you're editing uh, narrative sequences and scenes and you're listening for the rhythm in the dialogue. You're listening for the rhythm in the performance. Um, and that also ends up becoming really helpful, uh, at least for me when I'm directing, because then I'm listening to that rhythm on set going like, this is the pace of what this is supposed to be, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you're actually able to keep ahead of it because of those years of editing. Do you have the same sort of experience with that or? Yeah, um, I think I do. I mean, uh, I think when I first started editing and, and, you know, you talk about scrappy edit systems back in the day, I guess <laughs> one of the earliest <laughs> systems I jumped on was this, uh, I think it was called a Casablanca and it had uh, oh, wow. this like Mickey Mouse style pointer with the trackball <laughs> facing up. So <laughs> it's just, it just really bad. And, you know, anytime I see them in, in actually those, those kind of, uh, you know, um, roller balls in in like color suites i kind of cringe a little oh, bit yeah. but yeah. um yeah they don't they don't seem to mind them but it takes me back to another place um <laughs> but that <laughs> that was uh kind of short-lived and then um you know the u.s you know not to jump back into the whole you know what system did you start on but i think it was kind of um you know it, it was a big it was a big thing to kind of really impress editing in my you know in my in my early days but uh i think the our high school got a set of like maybe like three avid like portable avid systems that the yeah. u.s military you know donated to my high school and it was just like it was before an imac or you know like the old imacs but it was just like this little bubble of a of a box computer <laughs> like editing so anyway <laughs> um you know really I didn't start cutting music necessarily until I, you know, until I, start, I started messing with like levels and rubber band, uh, you know, tools um, in the edit system to just kind of, you know, work with the rhythm of dialogue, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, timing, even though we just slap music on as an end result, just kind of the reverse of, you know, I guess how things are done today. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, just... Um, you know, timing out stuff without music and just kind of relaying or just kind of having an internal rhythm uh, was something that I, I guess I, I, I kind of tried to get into or just tried to, you know, um, recognize in, in whatever it was I was cutting early on. And um, up until today, I think those things have kind of impressed a lot on me as a director because, um, you know, I didn't start cutting music down into like 15 second, 30 second, um, you know, uh, not just best portions of the of a track, um, but you know stuff to kind of enhance the overall story. You know that didn't happen until I got into advertising, um, or you know I should say uh, television promos. But um, it's what I think of every day when I step on set. Uh, now on, you know from from here on out. Yeah, now it's 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 insane how important that that actual skill is, especially with advertising, because you know at the end of the day you only have maybe you have like a fifteen second, you got a thirty second. Uh, piece of time where you need to cram as much emotion into that specific moment as you possibly can. Um, and, uh, you know, having those skills and having that understanding of, you know, how you can make 15 seconds feel like an eternity or how you can make 15 seconds feel like a breath 
you know, um, and I, I, at least when I do commercials and stuff like that, that's always in my, in my brain where it's like, okay, what's the fucking timing of these spots and how are we doing this? Uh, you know, cause at the, at the end of the day, that, that world can become so confusing, uh, with, yeah. you know, all the creatives and all those folks around you and, and, you know, whether or not they're going to admit it or not, they're, they're kind of weighing back on you going like, you know, you get in that edit room and you're, they're like, why the fuck is this does not fit into 15 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, sitting in the edit chair, um, for so many years, there were, there were a few times where, you know, I'd have to kind of speak up on, you know, on behalf of, you know, a director and say, well, this is, this is the reason why, <laughs> you know? So, well, you know, not everyone's thinking about that. <laughs> well, dude, power to you, man. Cause that's one of the worst things as far as a director's concerned in advertising. Even, you know what, when you talk about being a sexy DP, I've seen more DPs thrown under the bus in an edit room and advertising. It's, it's pretty crazy because uh, a lot of times you're not, and for those filmmakers listening that haven't done commercial work, when you do larger commercials, you, a lot of times you're not even part of the edit. Like sometimes if you're lucky, you have like a director's cut or you're in that portion, but sometimes they just take the, the damn thing and they're, they're cutting it because you're just a cog in the wheel of that ad campaign, which is what you're getting paid mm -hmm. to do. Um, and so uh, there's been times where I've been thrown under the bus in the edit room. And as a, when I was a cinematographer for a while, what I would do when I was on set knowing that I was going to be thrown under the bus, I would I would audio slate clips. <laughs> so I would go over to the camera and go, okay, so the reason why the lighting looks like this is because this happened, this happened, this happened. And I would just like <laughs> straight up audio slate stuff so that I knew that when they were in the other room and they're about to throw me under the bus, they'd hear me go, okay, I know you're about to get pissed off about this, but this, 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 and this, this. <laughs> Those are those are good moves to uh, make. <laughs> so, yeah. um, all right. So then you were editing for a while, right? So you doing what commercial work or corporate stuff? Like, what were you uh, editing? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, uh, I I got out of film school and I was working in live music or live production, actually. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some of some of my PA experiences were just from being like a stagehand, actually. Um, cool. And just kind of. Um, working in a live music um you know environment but um as a lighting director um i would operate like avo light or hog boards and in a way i, I view that as um you know my earliest experience editing really because you know you're programming and you're running a, a show live and you're you know you're technically switching um but uh an opportunity came up and um you know i, I got to go over to join the promo department um, at Discovery Networks. And um, that was kind of like a cool experience just because um, not only did I, you know, start to put my degree to use, but, um, you know, it, uh, it, it really got me, uh, it were exposed me to the world of advertising or just kind of promo editing and, mm -hmm. you know, those time signatures we were kind of discussing earlier. So television, television was the start. And, um, you know, I, I stuck, I stuck with that for a couple of years before uh, moving up into New York, but um, still sticking with uh, TV and uh, bouncing around at a few networks, rude awakening on uh, you know what freelance actually truly meant, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like um, yeah, I mean, I, I was just doing everything from the news to you know uh, you know Fox promos uh, lineups for you know Sunday nights, and um, 
you know, some, you know, like some clock editing, um, all sorts of stuff. I, I, you know, I think, um, you know, that in itself is just a, is, is just an edit industry of its own. Like a lot of people moving around, um, through, through the big networks up here, like, you know, sure. Um, and kind of learning, learning the promo edit, uh, promo edit world well let's off track a little bit no it's good it's good let's dig into what you were saying before what was the hard lesson that you learned about being a freelancer what was the reality that you oh man um well i had a great job in dc uh as as an editor at discovery and i exchanged it for um a position at fox news of all places Uh um <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I just wanted to be in New York, and uh, you know, I took the gig. Um, I had some friends over there before they were kind of going completely crazy mm-hmm. when it was sort of a reputable news source. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> around the time they started kind of changing and going off the deep end and just really challenging my morals, um, I had a night where I kind of took a little bit longer than I usually, you know, would to to do an assignment, and um, you know, some senior editors threw me under the bus and told me. Um, not only did I take long to do my assignment, but I also left early on a double. Like I only kind of worked like half a shift for a double I didn't sign up for. And um, because of that, I lost the job and it was a permalance position or, you know, I guess a freelance permalance position. And I remember getting called in by my boss because I was working nights and I was super sleepy. And he just told me to just come back next year. And I was just like, wait, what? I just left this, you know, this uh, salary job like you know entry-level job that was pretty pretty nice uh for new york and within you know a few months uh they're they're telling me i don't you know (laughs) i don't have a job anymore and i was just like what am i gonna do and you know i was i was dirt broke um you know not to even mention when i when i got the offer for the job i quit discovery moved up here and um they didn't actually call me for six months i was i was staying on my buddy's couch wondering when the job was going to start but you know hence you know my naive understanding of what freelance really meant i you know i didn't realize that you know they were gonna you know i was on their radar and they were gonna call me when they needed me rather than you know i start tomorrow right um but yeah as soon as i had it for like a year or so um when my boss told me to try again next year i was just like you know, what is this world and how does this work? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough, especially in like that broadcast world with that stuff. It's really difficult. It's cutthroat over there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, they say they say it's who, you know, and, um, you know, my film school, uh, you know, Howard University was um, great. You know, a lot of a lot of folks were up here in New York. So my earliest connections came through some of the producers I knew, fortunately, they were at a few different networks and really, I guess, you know, either them just needing a, a body to sit in a chair and figure out, you know, how to, you know, assemble their assignments or their work um, or just them knowing that I was, you know, just lying on my buddy's couch and seeing me like at parties talking about it. <laughs> I got I got a little bit of a, a you know, got a little bit of luck uh, just kind of getting into other networks from there. Just based off of the fact that I, I knew a few people in the industry that were getting started. Well, I, yeah, so we call that luck, and I believe that that's a big portion of luck, but that's also part of the job, you know, and the the, the idea that they understood that you were fully committed. I mean, sleeping on a couch and dealing with all that stuff, that's commitment, and moving to a sp- location is commitment, and then uh, making sure that you are, I assume, making sure that you're uh, being seen and being seen by these folks like that, 
unfortunately, that is the rhythm of of uh, being a freelancer. Is that it isn't in an instant like you're lucky if it's an instant thing, uh, but most mm-hmm. of the time you're just sort of laying the groundwork consistently for the next thing, like always. And if you're smart, mm-hmm. you're like triple layering it where it's like okay i'm talking to these people and that's going to be something maybe in five months i'm talking to these people and that'll be something in like eight months and then this will be because you as if you because i've been freelancing now for jesus christ i've been freelancing since like 2000 so like in that period of time you just sort of figure out that there are these rhythms uh and if you're prepared for that you can almost rely on it where it's like as long as you're still working as long as you're still putting yourself out there and uh, you're making sure everybody realizes that, like, I'm still fucking in this game, um, then mm-hmm. the calls will eventually happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, it, it was it was definitely um, putting myself out there, like working working really hard and having some work to show for, for it, and then also being a character at all the parties. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, but that that's all. You know, that's a big part of it too, man. Like, who do you want to hang out with? Who do you want to be working with all the time? You know, like that's mm-hmm, a huge part mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm, you know, a lot of people think I'm I, I'm younger than I really am, and uh, you know, I guess I got um, a, a real uh, start um, around 2000, around uh, you know 2008, but. Um, it took a little while to just kind of show people that I, I wasn't just a fun time, but I could also do the work and um, in a ways like um, affect the work that would, you know, elevate the work. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it took, it took a long time. So, you know, you're right. It's, it's paying dues. And, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't recognize that or I didn't realize that I didn't learn that in film school. So, you know, I think New York hardened me to like understand that that's how I was going to eat. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, especially New York, especially New York. New York yeah. is like, <laughs> New York, I say it all the time. New York's that place that it fucking rules. If you're working, it's great. If there's cash coming in and you're busy, but if you're not, it's like uh, you're just being ground up in a garbage disposal in that city. Totally. <laughs> I say it's for the super rich or the young and dumb, and I was definitely the young. I'm still, I'm not even young anymore, but I'm still dumb and <laughs> you know toughing it out. Out over here. <laughs> All right, gang, you know the deal. It is time to thank the men and women that help make this show possible. I am talking about our sponsors. I'm talking about our filmmaking sponsors. It's cool to be able to have like two different degrees of sponsorships. Uh, And you know why I'm able to do this stuff? It's because you guys are listening. Have you told your friends about it? And do me a favor, write to me on Instagram. What do you like the most? Do you like the chef's episodes that we're doing? Do you like the musician episodes? What is it about this show that you like? My hope is that someday you just like it, that it's the show. You never know what to fucking expect when you tune in. I'm going to try to get there. And if you don't know it, excuse me, as I burp like a fucking animal, we just had uh, lobsters. My brother just sent us over lobsters from the East Coast. Big shout out to Brian for sending us a late Christmas present. It's late. It's a late Christmas present, but it was really good. We just had two main lobsters and a bunch of other really great seafood. So 
you have to deal with uh, my old man indigestion after having a little lobster fried Diablo. Anyway, <clears throat> um, what was I saying before I got fucking distracted? Uh, yeah, so hopefully you guys like uh, that the show is a surprise every episode. And uh, it's actually harder to do episodes for me that are in an industry that I don't do. So it requires a little bit more research on me, a little bit more homework, um, but I'm willing to do it. And I'm, I'm pumped because I get to have these folks on uh, that do things that I want to have an opinion on. Like I want to have an idea of how it's done. So I get to sit and learn with you. Anyway, let's get into it. First up, great dudes over at Puget Systems. If you are in the market for a new computer, and chances are you are. Chances are, if you've been listening to the show since day one, which was like, what, four years ago? Uh, you probably need a new computer. Especially if you bought a big fancy Chrome machine from another company, uh, and they have slowly pushed you out of date with their software updates. I got so pissed off at my fucking phone because do you notice how malicious this shit gets? They had an update release again and I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do an update right now. I'm in the middle of a bunch of things. I don't want to do an update right now. Okay. You don't want to do an update. Great. Another reminder shows up. You want to do an update? No. Then all of a sudden, all my other apps are slowing down. For some reason, uh, my other apps are, are, are crashing. And then I'm looking at it going, why are my apps going offline? Why are they putting them up on the cloud? I use this fucking thing all the time. And then I go, wait a minute, let me check. Uh-huh, I'm looking at my memory, I'm looking at my storage. It downloaded a fucking update. Hey, by the way, since you're looking at this, would you like to update? No, I don't, delete the update. Three days later, the phone runs even shittier. Now when I use my navigation to figure out where I'm going, it crashes in the middle of the fucking road. What the fuck's going on? Oh, it downloaded the fucking update again. Hey, passively, would you like to use the update? No, I fucking don't want to use the update. Please stop. And then I send them that. Continues. It continues. It's like a very passive, very calm-spoken abuse. And then you have to, because you're in the middle of a project, you're in the middle of something, and your phone's not working. It's like, all I want to do is upload this picture to fucking Instagram, and it keeps fucking crashing on me, and I'm in the middle of promotions? Fine. I will do the fucking update. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do you guys agree with me on this shit? And the problem is, is that after you do it, suddenly the battery life sucks. Suddenly everything about that fucking phone sucks. Drives me insane. That's malicious. That's fucking malicious. So, being the crazy man that I am, I decided that I no longer wanted to work with those guys. So I did the hard search. And I looked for a great company that I could trust, a company that creates or builds machines builds machines that uh, have great customer support and that are tailored to what I want. And if there's an issue, I can reach out to them and they, they get back to me. I mean, a real person getting back to me, not some fucking text queue. Can you tell how bitter I get? And I, I just seem to get angrier and bitter, more bitterer, bitterer or bitterer as I get older. Anyway, so I found this really great company, Puget Systems. They build custom-made PCs the way I want them, and they'll do it based upon the software you use. So you can go to their website. They have three different, I think they still do. Let me, I've been doing this read, Puget, and I haven't been to your website in a couple months. Let's see what's going on, systems. Puget systems, what is up, dudes? 
We make the machine, you make the magic. Oh, that's a pretty good slogan, these guys. Let's see, what's going on? Get the perfect hardware for your workflow. We speak your language. Yeah, you guys are doing it, man. Uh, let's see. Products. Let's pretend like I'm here and I'm looking for a new machine. Stand by. Products. Nice. Okay, so if you click on the product section, they will list different uh, cases, essentially different sizes of machines that they put together. I'm actually using a Genesis. So I've got like a really great uh, Genesis uh, machine for one of them. They also have the Thread Dripper. What the fuck is that? Extreme performance, high core count. Fuck yes. I think I have a Genesis 2 for one of my machines. I totally do. It's great. I run real-time 4K, multiple tracks within my video sequences, uh, and I love it. I've been cutting on a Puget system for over five years now. If you go to the website, you'll actually see my mug all over the place because we've been working together for a while. I love these guys. They don't just build video edit machines. They will build a machine for anything you need based upon the software you use. So like, even if you're a gamer, right? If you're one of those upset individuals that picked up a PlayStation 5 and you realize that Cyberpunk looks like shit on it, yes, it's Cyberpunk's fault. It totally is. But... They're also not talking about the fact that those super expensive little PlayStation 5s don't hold a candle to a PC that you can build. I'm telling you. Go to PugetSystems.com. Check it out. How's that for a read? Um, also, as always, supporting us on the show are our good buddies over at Quasar Science. If you are working in the film industry, you will notice that one of the best advancements in the business lately has been uh, lighting. And LED lighting has changed everything. Um, and because of the advancements with LED lighting, you've seen your television shows look better, you've seen your music videos look better. Um, Mike, don't type and do shit at the same time, Jesus Christ. Uh, but I love them. Anytime anybody comes to me and says, hey Mike, what do you have in your kit right now? I tell them, I got a bunch of quasar tubes. I got a lot of shit, but I got a bunch of quasar tubes that I use all the time. I've got a bicolor set, so it lets me do true tungsten, true daylight. I also have a rainbow LED set, which I love. And the tubes are so durable, they're lightweight, they don't draw a lot of power. I think my little bicolor ones have magnets on the back, so I can actually slap them on the C-stands. And I, for those little ones, that, like I have like little one inches or two inches, those guys are like usually brought in to do like a quick little edge or a quick little sparkle in the eye. Got those little magnets on the back of them. Fucking sweet. They're really great. Battery powered, you plug them in. Pretty awesome stuff. I can't say enough really great things about these guys. I don't know when this episode comes out, but they're talking to me about some new gear, so they're gonna have some new stuff coming out. Uh, very excited about them. Go to quasarscience.com, check them out, and while you're there, check out their weird Muppet show that they do, which is sort of like... I don't want to say it's a bitter sense of humor on the business, but they do a really good job tackling a lot of the issues that lighting departments deal with. So go watch their shit. It's at Quasar Science. Uh, also supporting the show is always returning actually to support the show are our good buddies over at Movie Tees. That is M-O-V-I-T-E-E-S.com. M-O-V-I-T-E-E-S.com. Movie Tees. 
These guys uh, create amazing fan t-shirts for movies that we all love. If you go to their website, you can actually choose a t-shirt based upon a movie, select a movie, uh, and look at that fucking list. Those of you who were part of my contest, we actually gave away uh, three free t-shirts from these guys. And my contest was uh, basically, the rules were, look through their list and tell me what you think is the best shot movie. And everybody had a fucking really difficult time doing that because the movies are great. And the gimmick that these guys do, which I love, is they make t-shirts for the corporations that are inside the movies. So I was sitting around in my Skynet shirt the other day. Um, uh, all sorts of stuff, like uh, the Stromo t-shirts for Alien. Uh, some fucking really, really, really strange ones too. And that what's really good about it is that they're sometimes such a deep cut that you wear these shirts on set, you wear these shirts when you go to the movies, when we go back to the movies, and uh, you can't help but uh, notice the people that notice that shirt. And you're like, hey, that guy's pretty fucking cool. That girl's pretty cool. Maybe I want to take her on a date. She knows what the fuck this shirt means. Mm-hmm. Got it. I mean, it's elitist. It's nerdy. It's great. Go check them out. Go to movietees.com. Um, let's see. Who else? Oh, if you want to support the show, please go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There we have curated all of our episodes based upon subject material. So if you just want to listen to all the director episodes, that's great. If you're a one-minded individual and you just want to listen to all our acting episodes, that's cool. Uh, we also have a section there for like our top 20 episodes, which I have to update. Because since then, I've got some new ones I feel like belong on that list. Um, but it's all at inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you can also donate directly to the show. We have a donate button. If you guys are sitting on some cash, if you're a rich motherfucker and you got some cash in your wallet, you can give it to me. Um, or great way to donate to the show without costing you a dime is to sign up for an Audible free trial. Now, if you haven't done so already on another podcast, do it with us. I think it's Audible. You would think I would learn this every time I do this read. I think it's Audible Trial backslash in love with the process or something like that. We'll put the link below. Okay, so it'll be in the description of the episode. Click on that link if you haven't done so already. Sign up for 30 days for free. It comes with a free audiobook. It also uh, gives you access to a bunch of their audio content, which comes with a subscription. There's a lot of shit. There's like podcasts, there's really cool audio series. Uh, there's a pretty cool one on Alien. There's a bunch of Alien ones that are up there. Um, but I love it because it's how I am actually reading books these days. I got distracted today with a bunch of shit, but I have a book that I'm trying to get through right now. Um, so go check it out. Sign up for Audible. And if you find that you can't continue your thing like after 30 days, if you're like, man, I just don't have the cash for this. No biggie. We still get paid. All right. So definitely do that. And uh, that's it. That's enough of my fucking Gavin. Let's get back into it with Ron. Fast forwarding a bit here and looking at your work, um, you do a lot of documentary stuff. Like, uh, what is what is your appeal? What is the appeal with Doc's view? Uh, I just like real people. I, you know, it's funny because I'm usually more of a listener. Like, as the as the the last of uh, you know 
four Brodies, you know, four siblings, you know, I have three other siblings that are older than me. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, I've just had to observe a lot more and listen and wait my time and, you know, my, my Jamaican upbringing, you know, it's provided a lot of, you know, I, I, I grew up on things like manners and respect. So, um, you know, I love giving people a chance to kind of tell their own stories and, you know, kind of, um, share and I'll, I'll listen, you know, and I think through that I've naturally become, um, you know, a little bit of a documentarian or like, you know, a lot of my work um, has this docu, uh, you know, vibe to it just because I, I like to observe and, you know, I, I'll uh, I'll allow for, for people to be themselves. I like real people and characters like um, and I, I love I love, uh, you know, putting my input in uh, to to um, inject it if it if it's required. But I also like to see how things like kind of unfold and you know have experiences in the moment so i think that's kind of why i i have um been in the docu space uh uh more so recently um just because i'm an observer it, well that's a great skill to have in that world because uh, it's a completely different mindset and i i feel being someone that was a cinematographer for documentaries for years um, and doing uh, docs on really in intense subject material, um, I came to realize as a director that I didn't want to do docs because uh, I tend to be a guy that likes to manipulate <laughs> likes to manipulate things. Being a horror film director, I like to like, manipulate audience experience and sort of go through that. And I felt like. Um, doing that in that in that genre was kind of sinister almost like kind of very sort of manipulative and strangely enough that has become a genre within itself which they now call like docudrama or whatever the hell they call mm. it these days which is you know the the illusion that it's a documentary um <laughs> like do you have an opinion on that stuff do you prefer documentaries to be pure or do you are you someone that doesn't mind influencing them like how does it work for you yeah, um, you know, I don't, you know, I have a, I have a, you know, I, I have this desire to do more narrative content and, you know, affect more outcomes and, and you know, influence more um, situations. But I do um, feel like that's possible in, in the, you know, in the docu space. Um, you know, maybe, you know, I'm not going to say I'm like, you know, into reality television or anything like that but you know the way i view editing is the way you know there's a lot of opportunity to kind of um craft a story you know n n not to a, a unethical level or or a level that isn't true mm -hmm. but um you know i think there's a way you can elicit some of the you know same emotions um in in documentary style um production that you would have in in just about any genre and this is kind of like maybe something that i've been you know exploring or just kind of tinkering with recently um just because i i didn't really um you know see myself sticking around in the documentary space for 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 that long i, I love to you know kind of work within the drama space um but uh you know in some of my work that isn't documentary people you know people have told me that there's this like kind of docu feel to it even though it's narrative and it's and it's scripted and i've written it um and i say well yeah you know i think there's an element of truth or or you know this kind of um docu uh background on on stuff that especially when i write it you know i like it to come you know like even if i'm 
creating characters. I base it off of someone real or some kind of experience that I might have, you know, um, been studying or observed. And, um, you know, I like to, you know, see if, if there's a way to fold that into like a like a, a story or like art that would imitate, you know, real life. Yeah. Totally. I don't know if that sounds pretty ridiculous, but. No, dude, that's natural. I mean, that that is what you should be doing if you're doing narrative stuff. Because at the end of the day, whether you, we're talking about doing narrative, we're talking about doing documentary, we're just observers in life and then trying to convey to the audience an emotion or a feeling that we felt or that we've seen, right? So like, why wouldn't you base your characters off of characters that you've seen or been impressed by or shocked by? You know what I mean? That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's, that's the other thing is like, um, you know, sometimes I've, I've seen some extremely interesting people and I've seen some really ridiculous characters. So, yeah, why wouldn't that <laughs> influence <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. some crazy, some crazy shit? You know, yeah, totally, man, totally. <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's fascinating because um, I'm trying to because I, I think I've talked about this on other episodes about dogs. Like the mm. the dilemma that I was consistently facing was that um, it all depends on how you get into it, right? So, like, I've done plenty of you know, doc stuff on musicians, right? And those essentially, like when you get hired to do a doc piece on a musician, you're basically hired to do a commercial. You're basically hired to do a promo. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, what is the what is the the image that they have crafted for their new album? And, and how are you going to convey that and through interviews and through that stuff and through a lot of slow-mo footage? And, you know, <laughs> like you're, you're, you're building these things out to be, or these people out to be larger than life with the doc stuff yeah. i get that and that to me is more advertising than it is true documentary stuff i've seen and been part of producing larger documentary stuff where you start to cross that line with a musician where the you know we've in the past i've worked with musicians that are like look we want it to be uh the real we want it to be a real story and you have to confront mm -hmm. them and say look you have your own vision of what reality is. You have your own idea of what you look like. <laughs> like if you look at yourself in the mirror, you're looking at the person that you see, uh, even physically the person that you see. So mm -hmm. when I turn cameras on you, or if, I'm, if we're part of filming you, we're gonna be viewing you through our perspective and our filter and all that stuff, which can be completely fucking different, dude. And mm -hmm. so there's a level mm -hmm. of like, how much of this do you want to be truly honest? And how much of this do you want to be manipulated? And with mm -hmm. a lot of musician stuff, I, f I find it's incredibly rare because why the fuck would you? I, I don't even know why you would say yes to someone doing a doc on you to begin with. I, th I think personally after doing them for so many years, <laughs> I'd be like, no. <laughs> for real, for real. You know what I mean? So it's like this, it's this weird and you know, it's a, like you said, it's an ethical balance of, of, of deciding like, look, do, do we all understand why we're doing this? And do we agree with why we're doing this? And, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the opposite end of the spectrum working for Fox News. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? So like the, the power of media is so persuasive and so manipulative uh, on a good level and a bad level. So you, you really have to constantly be looking at yourself at least in the dark world i feel like constantly looking at yourself going what team am i playing for here like what am i doing you know what i mean yeah yeah well i mean yeah no 100 percent. my i i think um you know the thought that came to my head uh 
was just the, the, the journey of, of trying to tell anybody's story, whether they're, a, a, you know, a, a famous icon or, you know, everyday's person. Um, you know, I know exactly what you mean, but I, you know, I think the way that I cope, cope with it is just from, from the jump, you know, I just try and f- figure out a way how, how I'm going to be a part of that story. Even if the audience doesn't get to know that, like, you know, how am I going to, you know, relate to my subject in the way that, you know, we're having this common kind of exchange mm-hmm. and, um, you know, hopefully through, you know, bringing them down to that level or meeting them at a certain place, um, we kind of get, get to get, uh, you know, to, a to another, um, you know, n- you know, natural or authentic level where we can kind of be, you know, real for a second. Um, one, one of the things I ask people who come in with a, a celebrity ego is, um, you know, I'll, I'll ask them, I'll be like, Hey, do you think, do you think Rick Ross is still Rick Ross when he's at home, when no one's around, like when, when he's going to the bathroom, like you think he's still got on all of his change and like, you know, you, you know, what do you hear down the hall? If, I mean, you know, part of my French, if, if he's in the restroom and, and there's like, you know, Sometimes restroom visits can be emotional, but you think you think they're like Rick Ross grunts, raw, you know, coming, you know, in the house when no one else is, <laughs> so, you know, and, and we'll just laugh about that. And it's like, you know, some some people will do it for the gram, you know, and some people will style up and and be that. And if that's truly who they are, you know, I'll figure out a way how to work with it. But sometimes I'll try and disarm them by just trying to find that commonality, and then from there. You know, if within myself, you know, maybe maybe I'm actually living the story and I got to strip it like at the end of it and say, OK, well, you know, that was my experience being a pseudo winemaker, even though I had known nothing about, you know, that that <laughs> that world. Um, but, you know, for for the for that two day period, you know, I kind of lived it. I, you know, I don't know, like I just try and, you know, try and try and get it get in there as as you know, as early as possible so that I'm not thinking about it on the back end and saying, you know, what the hell did I just, you know, what the hell did I just do? I don't know. <laughs> well, so let me ask you this question. Out of all mm-hmm. of the pieces that you've done, as far as documentary stuff is concerned, mm-hmm. um, which one has, which which subject material, which person that you talk to or uh, who who is in front of your camera that really cut you? You know what I mean? Like really got in there emotionally with you. Mm-hmm like really affected you? Uh, my brother. <laughs> really? My brother, uh, yeah. Um, just because uh, we we did this uh, docu-series, uh, you know, it's about, it took two years to make and it just came out last year. But um, I think just because we were co-directors, but also subjects in the project. Um, Which piece is this? Uh, this is uh, the Driver Radio uh, series. Okay, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, and we were never meant to be in it, but based off of, um, you know, what the uh, uh, what PBS thought was interesting uh, or what they were interested in was um, just having us kind of being these prominent, uh, you know, subjects. So I'm in it, he's in it, um, you know, a bunch of Jamaican, rude, rude Jamaican taxi drivers are in it. Um, <laughs> and we're navigating all those things. And, you know, like this is something my brother and I have been trying to figure out for many years and we have this opportunity. And then my brother becomes the biggest, you know, the biggest challenge I've ever experienced just because, you know, he has his opinions as a director. He's a photographer by trade, but, you know, like I put it, I put him next to me to make the thing and we ended up in it. And 
now we're also interacting and interviewing and dealing with each other, you know, in the making of it. And, um, you know, it's just, we hadn't, we, we hadn't, we're twins, you know, and we hadn't fought like that since we were roommates, you know, in college. So wow. it's just like, and you couldn't escape that, you know, like they, I mean, like, they, you know, if I'm going to honestly answer your question, it's, it's my brother. Um, and then, you know, out of the work that's like, you know, uh, that, that mo- is most recognizable or much, most watchable out of, you know, my body of work is like maybe 21 Savage, you know, just because dealing with, um, a personality, um, as a musician, you know, you talk about Rick Ross or, or uh, some of these other celebrities um, that you might see in some of my work. But uh, 21 Savage, who's just real, um, uh, he's real through and through when he shows up or when he when he's with us or not. I think 21 Savage is always 21 Savage. But mm-hmm. when you ask him, you know, your first question and he, he has like, uh, he deflects with the answer about someone else, you know, <laughs> and you don't know who that person is and you can't speak to that person you know, you're in for a rocky, a rocky road, you know, like, so, you know, those two were the most difficult, but I'd say my brother first and then, you know, celebrity wise, 21 Savage next. So. so with that piece with your brother, was that the first time that you guys had actually worked together? Um, in that capacity, like where there was like, you know, real, real money on the line where it wasn't like self-funded. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's stressful. Like co-directing can be very stressful, I feel like. Yeah. You know, I've done it in the past. Mm-hmm. I used to have a, a business partner and we co-directed when we started in our careers as music video directors. And we really kind of, like anybody, we as we grew, we sort of drifted apart and we sort of drifted creatively apart and it became kind of stressful. And it's always tough because when you're directing anything, there. It's like, you know, fucking piloting a, a submarine. You know what I mean? There has to be a captain of that ship. There needs to be a unified vision that's at the top. And the and I've had a bunch of co-directors on the show. And surprisingly, the ones that seem to hit it off the best are brothers or siblings because of that history <laughs> that's there. And I, I still, like I said, I've done it before. I did it for years. And I don't think I could do it again because it's, it's such a stressful thing, you know, and I, I can only imagine, you know, to add to the to add to the intensity of it, two things. One, he's your brother, and two, he's your twin brother. <laughs> so, it must have got really intense, dude, you know? It, it, yeah, it got it got super intense um, just because he's more of um, he's he's a he's a pure artist, man. He's he's really talented and I admire his work. And I think. He'd, he'd say the same about me, but I think the, that our approaches are completely different. Whereas I'm, I'm an observer and, you know, motion has been my craft. He's been more of like the, um, you know, head first kind of, um, you know, very t- testosterone driven. Like, you know, that photo industry sometimes can be mm-hmm. a little bit of a, a boys club. Um, but, um, you know, he knows his stuff and, um, you know, having me trust in myself and then have to deal with him who's coming into my space or my industry and uh, really, you know, kind of having really strong opinions. And I'm like, whoa, 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 slow your roll, you know, mm-hmm. there's some other considerations. And, you know, we're not as sexy as a DP, Don, you know, we have to think <laughs> like directors and think about what we're delivering, you know, <laughs> those are the conversations and they're never easy yeah. when you have someone who wants to create as a, as a pure artist. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a challenge, man. Well, I mean, that's the big issue uh, with us as directors anyways. And that's usually the challenge that we 
face ourselves, I don't know if you feel the same way, but at least for me, when I was coming up, that was the challenge. Because when you look at this world from the outside and you look at directing and you, you're always looking at the final product, right? You're always saying like, look at that fucking commercial. Like I could kill that. That's amazing. And then you, maybe you'll dig through it and find out who that director is and be like, oh, that movie's amazing. And this is how he did it. And what you're doing is you're essentially basing your career goals and your career path off of propaganda around that project. Because most of the time we're watching like promo clips or whatever the fuck it is that, uh, <laughs> that they're using to sell those pieces. And if you read articles, like if you read American Cinematographer, everything's bright, shiny fucking rainbows all day. You know what I mean? And these guys yeah. get all the gear that they ever wanted. And you just read that stuff. So when you're young, you're sort of forming this opinion on, on the business. And it's like, well, if I do this shit the way I want to do it and I work really hard and I'm really confident about my stuff, then I should be able to do what I think this job is. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, at least, you know, it was a learning lesson of getting into this job and actually looking around and going, this has got nothing to do with what I thought it was. And this is <laughs> that, like, this isn't, it's not sexy the way I thought it was sexy. I think it's a great career and I love it, but it's not sexy the way I thought it was sexy. And, and, and I got better at this job when I fucking learned that. And I tried to learn that as quickly as I possibly could, because then you're like, all right, so let me just understand from a bird's eye perspective what the fuck this job is and how do I navigate this job and how can I bring the art that I make on my own on to the table with these other people that are essentially more invested, especially with commercials, more invested in this than I am. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's fascinating shit, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, you know, I find... Uh, that when I'm in the midst of of things, you know, that's where that's where that confidence strikes, and that's where I do feel sexy when when there are still days left, you know, like and and it's and it's that rhythm, you know, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and then um, you know you can you can you can feel sexy, and you know people are um, you know asking you questions, and you have the answers, and you know that's that's when it that's when it really feels great and then um you know the times leading up to it yeah i mean you know maybe when you're pitching you know <laughs> that can that can be you know the creative process where you're going in circles of oh man i know exactly what i'm doing and then you're like oh no this fucking sucks and then you get back <laughs> into another place where you're just like i you know i don't know if this is the right direction uh when you're in production you feel really sexy you feel really good and people call and check it and you're like yeah it's great you know like we got, you know, X, Y, and Z happening on a steady cam or, you know, like all the gear talk. And then, you know, the day before you wrap, you know, it's that senioritis where you're just like, I, you know, I wonder what I'm going to do next. And then you start, you know, kind of checking yourself out again and, you, you, yep. you know, <laughs> yep. bring yourself back down to earth, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yep. So. <laughs> yep. I always say that whenever someone like congratulates me or they're like, wow, you're doing so well. I'm like, I'm unemployed tomorrow. So tomorrow I'm going to be unemployed again. <laughs> <laughs> right right you know? and you know you know what like that's me like uh relearning the whole freelance world again you know like as a rep director like i'm, I'm realizing that <laughs> yeah i mean like because i you know, i've pitched as an independent and I've, I've you know done stuff with my own company and this and that but as a as a director on a roster you're just kind of you know getting in a new a new uh 
a new shake of uh, freelance dome, I guess. How's, how's, I mean, I know you're just starting, so you can talk about whatever you need to, whatever you want to talk about on this, but how's it feel? How's it shaping up for you being a rep director at this point? Man, you know, it's amazing. Like, I don't know, you know, how much you know about my history with uh, First Avenue Machine. No, I don't. But, um, well, you know, uh, after, after I got let go of, Fox and was trying to figure out how to, you know, get a freelance job so I could make enough money for a train fare to get to the next producer interview. <laughs> um, <laughs> I discovered this company. Um, actually, I got a, a freelance gig at this um, small house. They had like four directors. And one of the directors there was, was, uh, was, uh, you know, someone I really admired. Um, you know, uh, he, he was, he was one of the directors on the roster that wasn't a personal friend of mine. And uh, he showed me this little stop animated, piece that he was working on and i was like oh that's so that's so dope i hadn't done stop animation since i was you know fucking around in middle school mm-hmm. um with my dad's uh you know dv camera and he's like yeah i'm getting my reel together and i'm like why you know or what's you know what's a director's reel like and he showed me he's like i'm gonna go after this company and he showed me uh the reel or the website for first avenue machine and i was just blown away you know i i couldn't believe people were doing you know matrix type shit for you know, car commercials or, you know, 30 <laughs> seconds spots, you know, like, you know, 30 seconds spots, per, you know, production, like Hollywood style production for, for a 30 second commercial was still very new to me. Like, you know, we were cutting promos out of pre-existing shows. So yeah, I was just like, wow. And um, I immediately booked down there and introduced myself and applied for an internship at the studio. And, you know, I got it and I, didn't want, I didn't tell him that I was a you know an editor that had a healthy freelance career at that point you know like with all the networks I just told him I was interested in learning whatever and um, you know they put me to work and um, I learned learned how to pitch um, you know there was there was one other person who, who, who well there was a there was a person who held a role in their creative development department and I think she was employee number two for the company at that time they were super small mm-hmm. super early and I was interning under her. And she found out I could edit. So her and I would do these like elaborate pitch films for all the, you know, that time I think they had a, a director's roster of like six and I think two of them were brand new. Yeah. And um, I just learned how to pitch from her and um, uh, Claire Mitchell, if, if her name's important, but she taught me everything I knew. And then she gave me her job. And all of a sudden I'm working at First Avenue Machine as the head of creative development, you know, re- representing six to seven directors and doing all their new business um, with uh, Sam Penfield, who I think she she was a few months my senior, maybe a year my senior, um, in in terms of being employee at the company, and um, she had a crazy vision. But um, we just we just went to town and did a lot of pitching with their roster and had a, had a good success writing for their other directors. Um, and you know I just got burnt out on pitching and I left the company, and um, you know went back into my freelance career but i i always knew that that was a taste of what was real you know and um i think at that time too i i thought i was going to be recognized as a director that was worthy of being on their reel at, you know and and a couple of a couple of opportunities did come up you know or you know while i was there you know on creative development they had you know asked me to 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 you know my opinions on certain boards sure and i'd always have a friend that i could recommend and um, you know, a few few people would would get an opportunity, and and I thought that was my role. I you know, I was just a support role. But I left the company. But to answer your question, you know, ten years 
after that experience, you know, having left and kind of been 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 on their radar, like as edit, you know, I edit for them, and you know, I did a little bit of directing here and there, you know, last year, you know, we we de- we developed a ten year relationship, but last year when we were in the midst of pitching on a particular project, same as usual, um, the question came up, whereas they were just like, would you want to be on our roster run? And I, I didn't, I didn't know what to say. Like, you know, it was kind of like what I wanted 10 years ago. Um, (laughs) And and I didn't know, I think, you know, a year prior to, to be completely honest, um, you know, just because I know what kind of a year it was last year, a year ago, we had taken a meeting and, and evaluated my work. And and they had told me that they were looking at me in terms of, you know, roster material. And I didn't even know if I wanted to do commercials anymore. I was doing this series with my brother and, uh, you know, I didn't know if I was going to come back to that world. And, um, but I don't know, to answer your question, 10 years in the making sure. on a roster <laughs> is pretty damn good at the place where I started and discovered the business, you know, of advertising. It feels pretty damn good. So hell yeah, dude. Well, and you also have like a fascinating insight into it because you're essentially in that uh, creative development position. You're you're doing the pitching, right? So you you guys are. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm just assuming. But you're sort of going through the process of looking at everybody on your roster and and figuring out like uh, clients that would potentially want their work, right? So you guys are just like 100% pitching like the six or seven people that were on your roster all the time? Like what, what was your job essentially? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was that, I mean, like I'm looking at the roster we have, uh, I'm, I'm evaluating boards that are coming in from, from our reps and, and from the various agencies that are kind of looking into at that time, first Ave kind of didn't really broadcast who the directors were. It was just first Avenue machine. And the body of work was just, a you know, it was, it was a mix of all of their directors and, mm-hmm. uh, plus two that were kind of sorting out their identity or they, they were in the position where I'm at now where, um, you know, they they were kind of growing into their identity on the roster. Um, so we're looking at that and we're looking at, we're looking at RFPs and uh, me and Sam and, and Serge, um, the, one of the founders um, would look at the, 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 the RFP and we would look at our directors and say, well, you know, what do we see, you know, who, who can do this kind of work or, you know, what do we see, um, you know, in, in the ask that could be facilitated by, you know, what our roster has to offer. So we would answer back and we'd make custom reels of, you know, directors we thought were, were right. And, you know, based off of that, we'd be in the running and then we'd be pitching against, you know, whoever, whoever's, you know, being triple bid against us. And, you know, really it was, it was me and the director, uh, sorting out the creative idea, you know, mm-hmm. figuring out, you know, how we were going to, you know, answer a particular brief or, or what the creative ask was or figure out, figuring out what was going to be new. And then, you know, not just an idea out of the director's head, but how, how is it achievable or the right person, you know, the right personnel, whether it's, you know, you know, helping the director figure out a DP that would work or, you know, uh, art director or, you know, production, you know, designer that would, would, would help, you know, assist, you know, the objective of winning the job. So like everything was on the table and we produce, you know, all kinds of test films that almost felt like the spots themselves. So, 
you know, it was producing, it was creative, uh, it was a lot of writing because a lot of, at that time, a lot of the directors didn't write their, you know, didn't like to write their own material. So mm -hmm. I'd spend a lot of time writing and, you know, I'm the worst. Um, you ask any of my colleagues now, like with my, um, you know, with my typos or everything else, I'm the worst, but I did a lot of writing and pitching, <laughs> um, you know, putting together a lot of treatments. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that was the job back then. And you know, it was a team of us. I don't want to say I, I did it all because we had um, a very solid, um, you know, dedicated, um, dedicated founders that knew the work and knew the direction that they wanted the company to go in. Uh, we had an amazing EP who had a, a wonderful world of experience and could recognize talent from like a Hawks, you know, or, or you know, like a, you know, Hawks eye view or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, and then there's me who's going to stay up and, you know, pull it all together into a pitch um, and walk us into any agency and kind of look like a team and, and show our capabilities. So I don't know. It was, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I knew how to edit and I knew how to put it together. I learned how to, you know, use InDesign. So all of those presentational tools and yeah. you know, how did with you know whatever I could offer the team's effort uh, was just the job, and we did we did pretty good. Uh, seeing seeing where the company's at now, it's it's pretty amazing where we started. It's a lot of people don't realize that 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 is a big behind the scenes for commercials. And um, when I started, when I started to get repped as a commercial director years ago, um, it was sort of an eye opening experience for me because the whole pitching process and the the struggle to get a gig is fascinating it's fascinating from the director's standpoint right because we're just directors so we're we're mm -hmm. people that are living in that director's world and suddenly you're thrown into salesman world suddenly you're in the pitching world where you're trying to t mine from ideas usually a very short period of time mine from ideas mine from techniques mine from some of the skills that you have to try to uh, sell yourself essentially to your production company. So you're trying to sell yourself to whoever is repping you saying, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm doing right now. This is what is, is exciting me right now. This is my method. These are my processes. And you're trying to get them up to date with that. So that way, when a, when a, a boards come in or an idea comes in to make a commercial, uh, and like you said, these are all triple bid. So there's multiple bids that are going out there and some production companies are doing multiple directors out of that same production company mm -hmm. and so you're uh in this weird salesman pitch world um and when i started it i would put my own treatments together because i you know being a <laughs> a naive director that came from the film world and that that world of it uh i i in the music video world i was always responsible for doing my own treatments and sort of putting my stuff mm -hmm. together and the process of doing a treatment is very time consuming it's incredibly time consuming, whether you're like pulling reference photos or whether you're trying to figure out a way to describe what it what has not been shot yet, what hasn't been fucking filmed yet. And you're trying to explain it on a piece of paper, uh, how it's going to come together. And I remember doing that for so long. And I uh, was working with a new production company and they're like, hey, we have a whole internal team that'll put that stuff together. And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, please. You guys want to write it? Yes. Because <laughs> it is such an intense process and I had the utmost respect for the team that would put together my treatments and my buddies yeah. that would do it. And you're not a, like, it's not a special case with you. I have a friend of mine, my buddy Steve, who would, uh, because I'm also an illiterate 
<laughs> so he would go through and like really sort of polish up my treatments and put all my stuff together. And he did such a phenomenal job with it. And then recently he's uh, screen, he's upgrading himself to a screenplay writer and doing screenplay stuff. And I'm like, yes, yes, dude, fucking go for it. Because uh, he made me look like a hero every time one of the treatments went out. So it's heartbreaking too. It's a, it's a fucking rough business, man, because... The yeah. commitment that you guys have in it as the company and you have it in it is putting this thing together and that company's like, we gotta, make, we gotta make some of these jobs. Like We need income, so let's try to make this work. And then all the way down to the director who's just like, guys, I'm, you signed me, right? The, like Jobs just come in? It's this weird dichotomy, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I mean... 100% and um, you know I get to see it from the other side now because um, you know I get to work with uh, creative development I think I was employee like number 7 or 8 <laughs> I know I was under 10 uh, <laughs> but now <laughs> and I was doing that job myself now there's like 3 creative developers that I'll um, get on the line with if, if I'm pitching and you know the I mean but, but, but also um, it's a bigger team but also it's um it's uh it's 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 broader talent like amazing talent these these guys um work so hard and 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 are on the pulse of so many different you know things that if if even if it's an idea that i have um you, you know the way they get jump started uh you know and and they jump start me is incredible so i know i know exactly what you mean like i have the biggest admiration for those folks and um yeah, you know, and, and and meanwhile, I'm the director of my creative process going around my cycles where I feel, <laughs> you know, we, we cover that already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, am I signed, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the illusion, right? That's the illusion. Because right. when you're a younger director and you're out there hustling, and I still hustle on my own. I still produce on my own yeah. stuff. And I'm also repped. And so, like, you, you have this illusion that... When I get wrapped, that means that they like my shit. That means the commercials are going to come in specifically for me as a director. And it's yeah, yeah. not the fucking case. Like you are a, I hate to say it this way, but essentially you're a tool on the shelf for that production company. So they look at you and they go, this guy knows how to, this guy knows how to mow lawns. So he's our lawnmower guy. Put him on the fucking thing. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. um, it in this business that's so fickle and so uh, it's 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 basically consumer based right because the client's never wrong so you're dealing with uh, uh, a production company that needs to compartmentalize your career so like it's mm -hmm. no surprise that they're like your style is very doc style and everything sort of sort of doc stuff when i got into the business we were coming at it from like the dark fucking heavy metal music video directors so yeah so like they were like ufc like there were specific clients that it was like this is a client for you i remember i did <laughs> i did a job for like who was it for i don't know if it was like pbs or something like that and i i don't know how i got the fucking gig and i remember being in that situation going did they did you guys like not show them my reel <laughs> Like, there were like kids all over. The, I think it was like a babysitting app and I was directing kids and stuff. I'm like, how did I get this job? How did I get into this position? Um, because it's very focused. It's hyper-focused on the way that they package you and sell you. Um, and it's pretty insane. So I, I find it fascinating that you come from that background because you must, 
you must know some hacks at this point, right? Like you- <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I know exactly how you got that baby food job, man. <laughs> um, but really quick, um, you know, like I came from a, a, a punk rock background too. And I, I think I've heard you speak on some of my favorite bands in the past, actually. Oh, cool, man. So yeah, man. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think there, there are a few hacks like, you know, actually looking at people's work and um, you know what, honestly, I, you know, I, I've hacked myself out of become, you know, out of, you know, I still, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not an editor anymore or, or that I wouldn't edit. Um, and, and, you know, some of my clients are out there still, I still love you guys, you know, hit me up, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I, I've, I've hacked myself out of being pigeonholed as, as one type of thing. And, and with even in the, in the edit genre, like, you know, people look at the work on all levels, like not just as a director, but like as an edit, you know, as editor, as DP, I'm having tons of conversations with all kinds of artists, you know, that are like, you know, I'm doing this and, you know, I've been this food DP forever. And, you know, I really want, what I really want to do is action or whatever. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. you know, recognizing that, um, you know, there is, there is a way to go about tuning your reel to getting the work that you want. And like, you know, spending a little bit of time, uh, in, in a certain verse or space and, um, you know, just kind of tweaking it to kind of mold it in the direction that you want to take it. And you know what, honestly, it, it's funny, you know, and this is not a commercial for first Ave, but, um, you know, it's part, it's part of the reason why I decided to, you know, sign with these guys just, you know, beyond the, the fact that we've had a relationship, but I, I think they recognize that too. It's like, there, there's, there's ways to go about building your career, um, and, and shaping it into what you want. And, and sometimes it's not always, um, being, you know, available for everything or, you know, mm-hmm. just actually, you know, showing your cards and saying, well, this is one thing that I do and I'm going to double down on just that, which you, which you should in a way, like, you know, this is conversations, we're getting into conversations that I have with my brother maybe, but, um, you know, just, just understanding and recognizing certain hacks to kind of be able to tweak, um, or, or convey, um, uh, um, you know, a particular message are things that I did pick up from the pitching process. You know, it's still pitching when I'm, when I'm, you know, dictating where I want, you know, my reel to go or, or, or show, you know, like it's still, uh, you know, pitching, you know, hacks that I'll employ to say, okay, well, I'm going to go from heavy metal to baby food. You know, like if I have, you know, converge or, you know, darkest hour or, you know, whoever else on my, on my reel and I want to do Gerber, you know, yeah, those sound effects really do work for what we're trying to do for this spot is the same way, whether you're doing death metal screamo shit or you're hearing a baby like gargle, you know, this is, this is how we're going to sell it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that, if that works for you, but um, yeah. I, I just see, uh, you know, there's there's ways to sell anything if if you put your mind to it. I guess. My- right, and then it comes back to that salesman aspect, you know. And like, for for years, when I was, you also you also can't be desperate. For years, when I was in it and I was trying to float a company because I had a company and we had a production company and we were trying to do that, you end up getting to almost a desperation point where you're like, we got to get a fucking job. Like one of these jobs is going to fucking come in, you know. So you're you're in that mode of like trying to hunt for that. And I think I did the wrong thing as a director where I was like, I just need new, I need more shit on my reel. So like I went through the process of like, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to direct this thing. I'm going to do this thing. And I was sort of broad stroking based upon what the market seemed to be looking for. 
and this was me back working back in Boston. So Boston had a very specific market. Uh, so like you're, you know, you're you're like, okay, there's a lot of Xfinity fucking ads. You know what I mean? So you're like, you're like, maybe I should do a lot more talking head stuff. Maybe I should do a lot more of this and that. And so you start chasing these trends around and then you still don't get hired for those trends because uh, someone else is already doing those trends really fucking well. Um, yeah. and, and so it was incredibly frustrating. And it took me a while to sort of realize like, I need to sort of embrace what I like doing and I have to really make that my thing. And if I'm in a place that doesn't have the, the client base for it, then I gotta get out of here. So like, like at the end of the day, I know what I'm good at. I know how I, how I direct and what my style is. And it isn't dark. It's just, it's, to, it's tonally edgier. And that's, that's essentially what I do. And sometimes edgy, like you said, sometimes edgy works for a baby, com- baby food commercial. I mean, I remember when I saw Rob Zombie did a fucking cotton commercial, my jaw dropped. <laughs> like, I was like, how did he get a cotton ad? Uh, but, you know, he just embraces his thing and he, he, he goes with it and he's known for it. And the funny thing about the punk rock world is that all those dudes that were like skateboarding nerds and dudes that would go to like CBGBs and they were all the fucking, you know, music nerds, they all grew up and they work at creative agencies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and they're, they're all big fans, like big horror movie fans. All these folks are fans. And there's a, an aspect of, at least with agencies and sometimes with clients, like I've had clients that just wanted to work with me. Uh, they like hanging out with people that they respect and that have done work that they like. So uh, mm-hmm. it's a weird mm-hmm. fucking game. Because I know a lot of people listening to this right now, because this has been a good turn for this episode. I know a lot of people are listening like, oh, fuck, there's a hack. <laughs> and I can, hear, <laughs> I can hear all you guys with your pens ready and you're like waiting for the secret of, uh, ingredient on how to score commercials all the time. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel like there is a, a secret ingredient for this, right? No, I mean, I think it's um, being nimble uh, and uh, there is no secret ingredient. Uh, I think it's being nimble and uh, actually liking liking the space and the work and being being exactly what you said, you know, like a, a good person, to, you know, to work with uh, and being creatively flexible. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with commercials. And I'm sure that this was a conversation you had with your brother because I've worked with folks like that and I like I've I've partnered with people like that. They get so it's that it's that thing where it's like this is my big fucking chance. Like anytime yeah. someone walks in and says this is my big fucking chance, I'm like you need to walk out of here <laughs> and reassess <laughs> and reassess the situation cuz this is not your big chance. Literally if we do this job well, we make a day rate. And that person sells a bunch of shit out of a warehouse full of shit. That's what we're doing here. This is not your big fucking break. <laughs> but, but Mike, you got to you got to also go into the bathroom and look at yourself and say, one, it's going to last for thirty seconds, and two, it's a baby food commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. You know, at at the end yeah. of the day, especially in the commercial world, that's what it's about. You know, and um. I, I, I know directors and I've had directors on the show that kill it in the commercial world and they love it and that's their career path. And there's a lot of people listening that are like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a great commercial director. Fuck yeah. And if that's what you want to do, then you know, try to take a little bit of what we've been saying and see if you can make that work. But if you're in this business 
because you want to do a bunch of different things or if you want to tell uh, like if you're not going to be happy unless you're making movies or you're doing that kind of thing then assess assess the position that you're in because mm. the commercial world just beats you the fuck up like it really mm. does as a director you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean fortunately i've had some um good friends that actually I mean, well, myself included, but we're, we're passionate about it still. Like, even though we can joke about it, it's kind of the fun of it is, is if you're in it, you can kind of, you know, joke around, <clears throat> excuse me, joke around and have fun with it. Um, but, uh, you know, there is still there is still a passion for it. Like, you know, some 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 of my colleagues will, uh, you know, rise towards answering any kind of brief, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. with, uh, with the perspective of how can we be um problem makers you know how can we make this how can we up the ante with this work you know and Mm -hmm. um you know it it depends if you come to an agency or a brand with with a challenge like that to answer their challenge that they're facing um if it's if they're the right kind of partners um you can you know really explore where you can take it and you know the beauty of advertising is the fact that it's communication you know and communicate you know communicating with a group of people is still a powerful uh, tool, you know, it's still a powerful medium. It's still, it's still an art that, um, you know, is still respectable. And, um, you know, a, a, where a lot of these ideas come from too, um, especially if you think of a lot of, a lot of great directors out there, they're referencing fine art, mm-hmm. you know, for, 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 you know, things that you wouldn't even recognize. Or if you looked at the side by side breakdown between, um, you know, uh, any kind of, uh, you know, anything we've seen, you know, on, on the main stage, whether it's like, um, the, you know, final four, super bowl, you know, you know, you know, even, uh, uh, NASCAR, like, you know, the, the, the commercials and the, 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 um, the spots that, you know, really leave impressions are, are thought through at a level that you wouldn't, you wouldn't even believe. And, um, yeah. you know, it's a challenge that people actually rise to that makes the work really rewarding as well. So, you know, hell yeah I, I love joking about it but then i also love uh paying my respects to where is it too you know dude 100 percent. and it's obvious that you that you love that business and that you love what it is yeah. that you're doing and i that's important and uh, honestly that's the first thing that i think that they see <laughs> i think they can smell bullshit you know what i mean if someone yeah. walks in and they're just like i'm doing this as a transition you're like okay well i don't want to be a part of that um yeah yeah, it's cool stuff, man. It's really cool stuff. This has been a great conversation, dude. Um, I, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, it's been really great. And, and I appreciate you sharing all the stuff with us. Uh, we're hitting that point of the show where I should probably start to wrap it up um, okay. and do my job. <laughs> uh, For sure. But I would say this, because you've got such great insight. And I know a lot of the young directors and young creatives are have a hundred questions that they would ask you um and i would say this if let's ask two questions i'm gonna ask you two questions one question being somebody that was from that uh, creative side of things at a a production company um what do you think uh, makes a director appealing uh to a production company to get signed to their roster Hmm. I think perspective, uh, is a, is a big thing, you know, uh, I think, um, a a perspective dictates your style. It, 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 
clues people into the way you see the world. Um, you know, it, it sets you apart, you know, no company is going, no production company is going to put, you know, 50 of the same people on their roster. I mean, that wouldn't be a smart model, you know, business model. And I think no agency is going to, I mean, there are agencies that will come to a place based off of the fact of a, a surefire delivery. But mm-hmm. I think to be at the, at the front, uh, the forefront of, um, you know, the pool that's making the work that's, you know, uh, noteworthy or, you know, that makes the, the, uh, the industry legit. Um, you gotta, you gotta have a perspective and, and a lot of directors spend a lot of time honing and, and creating their style. And, and I think style is definitely a part of it, but I think perspective comes before style. Like, cause you know, if you get at a good, um, at a good spot with the opportunity to kind of share your perspective, you're going to be able to, you know, evolve your style over time and even take your style into places where you haven't even, you know, started to recognize yet. But um, your perspective is, is um, really what makes, makes you unique and stand out. And if you're looking at other product, if you're looking at production companies and um, you find a lot of your perspective on their, their roster, maybe, um, maybe that's not the the particular you know uh roster for you particularly you know i don't know um if that makes sense mike but it totally does it totally does because why would you i think a lot of people have that misconception well they'll go through rosters and they're like i'm looking for a production company and they look at the roster of directors and they're like like this this one does these sports ads and I'm, I've always wanted to do sports ads just like those sports ads. And it's like, why would you want, you want to go beyond their competitors roster. If you're someone that is at that level, don't go sign up on the same roster as that person because the person that's been there longer than you has longer formed relationships with all those folks. So like there may be a bit of favoritism. I'm not saying that happens all the time, but you know, chances are that probably does, you know? You you, you probably refresh their perspective in the place where it's just like, here's some new work that looks like theirs and it's from a new angle. And yeah, I mean, it could be that you're facilitating, um, you know, someone else's opportunity. Yeah. If, if you're just joining the crowd. Yeah, it's interesting. It's fascinating stuff. Okay, so then uh, then the second question would be, uh, so you're a director that has been, uh, that is being put up for a gig, right? So you're being put up for a pitch. And uh, you're working with the creatives on putting together a treatment. What do you think, when, you, when you're putting together a treatment for another director, and that being said, when you're a director putting in for a treatment, what do you think is the most important stuff that you can give that creative team as a director? Like, is it reference images? Is it just, as you say, is it perspective? Like, what is the most important element that you can be handing in when a treatment's being made? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think a solid understanding of the big idea, just because there's so many people involved. Um, I think you have to, you know, showcase that bottom line, you know, uh, you, you don't want to assume like, you you know, your perspective is going to be better than anyone else who might have brought, you know, there are a lot of agencies that do a lot of great work to, to, to bring it to you to, to actually see what 
your perspective will be. So you don't want to, you know, discount that work, you know? So if you understand the big idea and, and, and the objective and the goal that's at hand, um, I think that's, then, then, then you have a little bit of a stage to, to kind of work from. And I think from there in your treatment, if you, um, bring, uh, um, your perspective in terms of what it might look like, you know, like in terms of lighting and, um, you know, even, uh, you know, camera and, um, anything that's going to enhance the story or just kind of like really build the story out, um, from, from, uh, a perspective that wasn't included in, in, in contemplating or conceiving that big idea. Mm -hmm. I think those, those, you know, those are the things that I'm going to put into the treatment first. And then from there, you know, it could go even further because like, if, if we're talking about the same idea, perfect. And then if you see that I have a perspective on how to, how that story is told even better. And then you're willing to hear, you know, my ideas of how to, you know, expand on that and create a universe from it. Um, that's huge. So that's maybe what I'd put into the tree. I don't know, like if that's reference images. I mean, like they're all just tools, like reference images, like a piece of music that you might call out, uh, you know, uh, you know, knowledge over lenses or, um, you know, just, you know, all of those things are just tools. But I think, um, you know, as a director putting into a treatment, um, you know, how are you going to use those tools to provide those those two things and then have the opportunity to share your ideas to enhance it. So three, three total, um, you know, uh, tiers to, to, to what you put in your treatment is I think, um, you know, what really matters. Um, I wish there was, I wish there was an easy way to say, okay, well, you know, that one key frame that you, and you know, you put in or you're writing on how editorially that rhythm is going to, you know, make this spot really, you know, turn some heads or whatever. I wish it was, it, it was that, but it's just always different. And, you know, a lot of people will, you know, uh, have, have templates or, you know, like, um, you know, and I think you should, you know, kind of recognize what really works for you and like keep, keep track of that in terms of pitching specifically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, always approaching things from a unique perspective is going to give you the best results in terms of people, you know, kind of um, registering your idea and what you bring to a, a creative project. That's solid, solid advice. It's some of the best advice actually that we've got on the show with this. Um, Cause I completely no agree with you. I completely <laughs> no agree way. with you. Yeah, brother, because we live in a world where, you know, people get so obsessed with uh, technique and people get so obsessed with gear and, and, and all that kind of shit. And you gotta remember that when a client, whether it's a music, whether it's a band or whether it's, you know, an agency, they're getting a lot of the same shit. And just because you sat down, you were like, I'm gonna shoot this with anamorphic lenses because that's a great thing. They're probably getting like 20, 30 other treatments that the director literally is writing the same thing that you were writing in there. Mm -hmm. And so perspective is the one thing that you can't purchase somewhere else. You know what I mean? It's your own life experiences. And I've said this a hundred times on this fucking show. It's your own life experiences and it's that filter. It's that piece of meat that sits between your two ears that makes you unique. And you have to lean into that in order to get what you 100%. want. 
Yeah, man. 100%, brother. 100%. There it is, the episode in the can. Uh, it ended up being like we went in a surprising di di direction for this one. <laughs> Ron actually said it to me off air. He was like, dude, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea where we were gonna go with this. I had no idea that we were gonna talk about this stuff. And you know what it is? It's just that once he started talking about being a creative person at a, a production office, I was like, mm-hmm. There it is. And I know you guys at home, I know you were like, whoa, 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 ask him about how you, is that, where's the magic? Is there a special trick? Mm -hmm. I know you guys, I gotcha. That's why the episode went off the rails. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I learned. He learned a lot from me. We were both, out, we were kind of nerding out afterwards. Um, and uh, Ron, if you're listening, uh, good job, buddy. Uh, it was a really great episode, and I uh, can't wait to continue to see the stuff that you put out. And I am serious, dude. Uh, we will get beers, because I feel like we'll nerd out about a bunch of stuff. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. And, uh, you know, let me just take a second here, because uh, I don't think this is going to end up on another episode. Uh, recently, I was listening to the Empire Film Podcast. I might have mentioned it on the... Uh, episode with Liam uh, and it's it's a fucking generally I really don't listen to a lot of other podcasts I have a few that are my regulars you know like Tom and Christina's podcasts and all those folks uh, but uh, Will sent me this and apparently Edgar Wright and Quentin Tarantino uh, got on the show and it essentially became a conversation between the two of them which is always a fascinating listen because they are film nerds. And uh, we all know that Tarantino is like the ultimate film nerd. And listening to him describe films and listening to him talk about his love of movies uh, will literally take an entire generation of people and thrust them into a new genre or thrust them back into Grindhouse or thrust them into uh, old Italian spaghetti westerns or thrust them into old Italian mafia movies. Um, he's so good at that. And Edgar Wright always sounds like the dude that is your best pal that loves movies it's like your nerdy best pal that's like dude come on over we're gonna watch some shit uh so it's in that right it's a really great podcast and they don't need me to fucking advertise for them but i thought it was really well done and the host does a good job of just shutting up <laughs> no offense but he does a really good job of getting out of the way and he, he chimes in when he needs to and drives the ship um but it was a really really good listen and you know, the one thing I took away from it was uh, we're dealing with the death of cinema as far as movie theaters are concerned. And we're dealing with all this propaganda, <laughs> propaganda all this sales pitch that's coming at us that uh, streaming services, the way of the future. It is the way of the future is how everybody's going to watch their movies and consume their films. It's always going to be streaming. You know, that's what they were saying about Quibi. It's only going to be Five minute clips. That's how we're gonna watch all of our shit. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this. This is something that I've talked about with Spotify. This is something I talk about with any of these services that have are algorithm based for their suggestions. Doesn't it feel a little exhausting? It does, to me. Doesn't it feel 
like where's the new stuff how many times do you guys log in and go like but where's the good stuff like where's the where's the good shit and then you have to ask yourself what is good shit like how do i define something by it being good is it because i've seen you know uh, just under a hundred fucking ads for it before it comes out is it because uh, a guy in a video store told me it was good shit or is it because i heard an interview with someone that told me it's great stuff uh, for me, generally, it's usually when it comes out of someone's mouth. Like if someone tells me, if someone on the show is like, dude, you got to watch this movie, and this is why you got to watch this movie, um, I'll, I'll go for that. Because they had an actual experience. They had a visceral reaction to it, good or bad, that stirs curiosity. At least in me, I'm like, I got to see why this fucking dude thinks this is so great. Um, and... These guys do a really good job of reminding us on this podcast why seeing a movie in a theater with a bunch of strangers is completely different than seeing it at home. And one would beg to say that it's better. Now, I know you're sitting there going, yeah, but when I go to the fucking theater, it was always super expensive and I had to pay a lot of money for popcorn. I had to, How much do you pay for fucking subscriptions? on a service that you don't even use per month, right? How much do you spend on fucking Grubhub delivery fees? Because you're too lazy to call up the actual place and ask if they deliver. I don't want to hear it. You guys love to spend cash. All of us do. So movie theaters weren't that much more expensive, right? And what are you getting when you go to a movie theater? Now, granted, some of the bigger chains that existed for quite some time gave them a bit of a bad rep, right? Because you're going and you're like, I had to sit through fucking 14 commercials. Yeah, right? And this chair is like, what the fuck? Like, how do you sell the first two rows? I can't see shit. Like, there was a bunch of those little moments, and I agree. Well, the big corpse came in and they were just trying to make as much cash as possible. Well, they'll die out. See you later. But the ones that are going to stick around are the smallest cinemas. You know, like the Alamo Draft Houses. That place is fucking killer. And if you're out here in Los Angeles, there's so many really great revival and small cinemas out here that I hope to Christ stay in business when we come out. Um, because when you go see a movie, like when's the last time you guys went to a midnight screening? I'll tell you this. The first time I saw Beyond the Black Rainbow, I saw it at a festival screening. In a theater, I saw it at... The Brattle, back at home in Boston. The interesting thing about the Brattle is the Brattle doesn't have stadium seating. It's all on the floor. And I think Edgar actually talks about this on the podcast where he's like, when you watch a movie where you can see heads, you're actually getting everybody's responses, even subliminally. Because as shit gets scary, they sink in their seats, they jump, they scream, they cheer. Oh man, and this podcast is so great because they get into specific moments in movies where they remember strong audience reactions. And it isn't always people standing up and cheering, it's how people feel, who they team up with. And as a filmmaker, it's so powerful. I, listening to it, understand why Tarantino makes the movies the way he does. A, a guy that would go see a movie in the cinema 27 times, right, 14 times, the same film, same with Edgar. Like he would literally go back and watch it again the same weekend just to see it with a new audience, just to see if that audience reacted to all the same moments. 
That's powerful shit. Because we don't really think about that when we go to the movies, right? It's usually a very personal experience for us. I want to go. I want to stop thinking about the fact that my mom's on my ass because I haven't left the fucking house yet. I still live in the basement. So I'm going to go to the fucking movie theater, right? I'm going to go there. I'm going to get lost. I'm going to go running through the streets with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's why I want to go. But when you get past that, when you look around at however the people are reacting to this stuff, the movies are saying something. And they're saying something oftentimes really well. And the people are reacting to it viscerally all together. And when you go see a midnight screening, to go back to my point, when I went and saw Beyond the Black Rainbow, I'm sitting there in the audience and the fucking projectionist cranked that shit to 11. Thank God he did. Cranked it to 11 because that soundtrack in itself, when those fucking organs come in and that shit happens, like the every hair on my body stood up. And I saw when the screen went to those colors, he has those color, solid colors, transitions and the blinking lights. Uh, God help you if you uh, suffered from aneurysms or whatever the fuck. But you're looking at the screen and all these silhouetted heads on the bottom and everybody is fucking focused. I felt like I was part of the researchers at the end of Close Encounters where we're just staring at the lights from the ship. That's cool, right? I love that. That made that movie so much better than if I had watched it on TV. If I had watched that at home. If I had watched that gasp on my fucking phone. <laughs> Out of that little speaker. This movie's really great. Sounds like shit. You know what I mean? That's how people are doing it. And it's offensive. It's offensive to the filmmakers. It's offensive to all those crew people that meticulously, painstakingly, went through the process of designing an experience for you. Designing the ultimate getaway from your fucking mom who's screaming at you because you still live in her basement. Perfect, right? So why? Why did we get to this point where it's like, you know, you don't have to leave the house. You don't have to drive there, you know? I like leaving the fucking house for this. You know, going to the Alamo in uh, downtown LA, I don't know if you guys have ever been there. And these guys, free, free advertising. You get out to the Alamo in downtown Los Angeles, right? You go into the lobby. The place is loaded with all sorts of cool shit. Old VHS tapes, really cool t-shirts, like a fucking banging vinyl section. And there's a killer bar right there with video games, board games, all sorts of really fun stuff. Talk about an outing. You go there with your friends, you sit at the bar, grab a table, watch all sorts of nerdy shit play on the screen, wish that you can afford one of those Mondo posters, and play a fucking board game. We would go early just to hang out at the bar, not to mention the movie-going experience. And for those of you who were like, yeah, but then people are talking in the background, have you ever heard the rules that they have at that cinema? where you can order food, but on that food order sheet, you can just write that there's an asshole behind you that won't shut the fuck up. And if they come and see that, they'll eject that person. They don't give a shit because they care about the movie going experience. I love that. Doesn't it feel like something fun to do? Right? I want to go. I want to not have control. I don't want to be able to pause it. I don't want to have to put it on hold. 
or I wait for my girlfriend to shut off all the lights in the house and then go find a place to pee and then find food in the cabinets and come back 15 minutes later and the pacing of the film is dead? She just rolled her eyes at me. <laughs> That's movie-going experience. So listen to the podcast. Long, rant, short. Check out the Empire Film Podcast and Tarantino and Edgar Wright do a great job reminding us why going to the movies is so fucking awesome. Anyway, I'll leave you guys with that. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, A lot of great episodes on the way, as promised. And I will see you next Tuesday.